Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. My name is Ben. If this is your first time or if you're new, we are stinking so glad that you're here. We preach the Bible here um, because we don't know what else to do. We're not that creative, so we just jump into God's Word week after week after week. And so if you got a Bible, flip to Hebrews chapter 8. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. <clears throat> and I'm excited to, to see what the Holy Spirit does with this. Um, hey, if you don't have a Bible, if you left it at home or if you didn't make it to college with one or whatever that looks like. We've got, I know I say this every week, but then I think last week we ran out. Actually, a couple people came up to me afterwards and were like, hey, I'd love a Bible. And we didn't have any more Bibles. And I felt like, what a horrible pastor. Somebody's asking for a Bible and I didn't have one. So I just gave them a Harry Potter book and sent them on their way. <clears throat> but we have more now. So on your way out, man, you can just grab one of those black Bibles there around the room. And uh, we'd love for you to keep that and that'd be a gift uh, to you. Um, Here's where we've been in the book of Hebrews. So we're just preaching through um, this book, and we've gotten now to chapter 8. And what we've seen so far is this, this argument that the author of Hebrews is laying out for the Hebrew people who were tempted to fall back into the old way of their religion, what was called the Old Covenant is how he's going to refer to it. And so if you were here last week, we kind of unpacked what that Old Covenant looked like and then how Jesus is now this turning point in theology and history that has now opened up this new covenant, this new way in which we now interact with God. And so there was an old way in which you approached God and interacted. Uh, there was an old priestly legal system of how you approached God. And now there is a new way. There is a new high priest. And it's been this argument that the author's been making about saying, this is better. This is better. This is better. Um, this idea of a new high priest is Jesus. Anytime in the book of Hebrews you see this idea of high priest you see that as that's talking about Jesus. And so it's led us all the way up to this, this place. And all of these arguments of the new covenant, of the new way we interact and approach God, which affects us in this room today, um, hit a climax in this argument in chapter 8. And he's going to get to the point of this entire argument he's been making for the last three or four uh, the last three or four chapters. And so we're going to throw it up on the screen if that's easy for you. Or love it if you've got your Bible in front of you, read along. This is, how it, this is how it goes, verse 1 and 2 <coughs> of chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, Jesus. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So he's saying, hey, this has been the whole point I've been leading up to for all these chapters and all this explanation of the old and the new covenant. High priest Jesus is better. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He, he is doing this thing eternally. This is good news for us. This was always the plan all throughout history. And here it is. And he keeps going. And he starts describing kind of the old way and how the priests used to work. Verse, verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of, heaven, of the heavenly things. 
For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And so what's happening is he's saying, hey, if, if he was just a normal priest, right, it would have been restricted under the old way that the people in the Old Testament approached God, which was under this tent and the tabernacle, and they had all these rules that were given to Moses about how to build it and all this nerdy, intricate things to really reveal how big of a deal God was. And he's saying, that is now the old way. This is better. Verse 6, but as it is now, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and then he's about to to go into an Old Testament reference. And so, uh, just before we jump into that, I just want to make sure we don't lose anybody. Verses 1 through 8 here in this chapter, we have God's word telling us Jesus was always the plan. There was an old way of how the people of God interacted with God. And it was through priests, and it was through a, a system, and they had to go into a tent, and there were sacrifices. And all of those things were pointing to one day there will be a high priest. There will be an eternal king. There will be an eternal sacrifice that covers all of us. And they were looking forward to that day. And now here, the author is saying it's here, and it's better, and Jesus has come, and he is the high priest. And now what he's about to do is he's about to give a reference to, remember, this was talked about. This was in the Old Testament. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. So um, if you've got your Bibles, what we're about to read, verses 8 through 13, so the rest of this, is a reference. And if you've got your Bibles, you'll see it's all indented and center, you know, it's italics and, and centered in the middle of your page because it's straight copy and pasted from Jeremiah chapter 31. And so what our author here is doing in the New Testament is he's saying, look, you guys always should have seen Jesus coming. You always knew that the old way wasn't God's perfect design. It was pointing to Jesus. And so he just straight up takes Jeremiah 31 in the Old Testament and plants it right here in Hebrews to remind his, his readers that this was always the plan. Look what Jeremiah 31 says. It's quoted here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Remember, this was written thousands of years before Jesus showed up, what, what's being quoted here. I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen carefully. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And then the author of Hebrews ends this chapter, and he says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So this is chapter 8 of Hebrews. And what I'm going to do this morning in this sermon, hopefully by the power of God and, and he does it um, through me, is we're going to look at a very implicit effect of this new covenant. Something that's here that's really important that I want us to camp out on. Because what we see is that there is a new covenant. 
right? We, he's been talking about this for a while, right? If you've been coming and listening to Hebrews, you hear this repetition in what the author is saying. He's making this argument, making this argument, and he's saying it's better. It's always been the plan, and so why? Why is it better? Why is it a big deal? Why does it affect you as a college student, the fact that there's this new covenant, and the old is gone, and the new has come, and Jesus is our hyper? How does that change your Tuesday afternoon to two days from now? How does that change next weekend for you? How does that change the way you live your life right now? Um, and so the why is that better? And we've answered that multiple different ways throughout Hebrews. There's not, a, there's not just one answer for that. It is a, a whole lot of reasons of why this covenant is better that we've unpacked. This morning, I'm going to camp out on one implicit in this passage, not explicit, but implicit effect of why the new covenant is better and massively important for us. I want to read one more Old Testament reference. So Jeremiah 31 was in this passage, an Old Testament reference. But Jeremiah 31 also parallels with another Old Testament prophet lived thousands of years before Jesus, before this book was written. And this is what he says, Ezekiel. We'll throw it up on the screen. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. This is, this is the way he prophesied towards this new covenant that, that now, excuse me, that now we are sitting on. This is what he says. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The old covenant was written on stone tablets that Moses had received. The old covenant was on stone. The new covenant, when Jesus showed up, did what he did in history 2,000 years ago, died and rose again, and now we believe sits at the right hand of God and ushered in a new covenant that those who put their faith in, it is no longer a covenant written on tablets of stone. It is now a law that is written on my heart. And it is now a law that is written on your heart by the Spirit of God if you are in Christ. That is one of the de de most distinct, important revelations of why the new covenant is better. Because with the new covenant came the Holy Spirit to all of us. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit wasn't just the Spirit who dwelled in the tabernacle that we could approach through the high priest in the old system. Now, all of a sudden, because God has come in the work and person of Jesus Christ, now we believe that the veil that separated us from the Holy Spirit has been torn, and anyone in Christ now has the Holy Spirit living in them. That's massively important. That is massively better. Jesus himself says, hey, this is going to be better for you guys. I mean, we, we see this new covenant and this very distinct ingredient in that, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so in this sermon, I'm going to spend a ton of time. I want to spend most of the rest of our morning unpacking what in the world is the Holy Spirit? What do we do with it? How do we treat it properly? How do we activate it? How do we make sure we don't just go crazy, right? What is the Holy Spirit and how does it work? And, and how should we follow it? If it is indwelling in believers. And we see and we believe here that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit was there at the creation of the world. It hovered above the waters there at creation with God the Father and God the Son. There was the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is God, is a part of the Trinity. And there's a ton of confusion 
about what the Holy Spirit is, right? Even in, in my life and in my study, I've run into a ton of confusion. I'm going to be honest, I think it's a really intimidating topic, right? If, if you're kind of new to church and you showed up this, this morning and you're like, oh my gosh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. I love that you're here because I think there's a lot of misinterpretations and miscommunications about what it is. Um, what it's not is it's not just a mist that floats around, right? It's not just this thing that like, oh, we got to capture it, or man, I feel it over in this part of the room, but you guys are kind of lacking in it. We need some of the air to flow over here. Uh, it's, it's not biblically. We don't see it as just a voice in your head. And I got this idea, well, I guess it must be from the Holy Spirit because I'm a Christian, and so he, that, I, that's dangerous. Um, it's not just a, a voice, or it's not just, a, uh, not just only a conscience thing. You got to figure out that. Um, it's also not feelings. The Holy Spirit is not just the feelings we, we have when music is going, and we're like, yeah, man, these guys are crushing this song. Actually, I used to, I used to travel um, a good amount and speak, and I was at like a, conference for a weekend and I was working with a worship band it's a true story and the worship band was just incredible guys and incredible worship leaders and so I was hanging out with them um, after you know after we had done kind of our thing and there were all these like students at this conference who came up and they like wanted to like talk to the worship band because they were kind of a big deal and this this uh, kid came up to the worship band uh, the leader of the worship band he's like man when you guys played that song you know that song man, I felt the Holy Spirit fall on me. Like I could feel him fall on me. And it was so funny because the worship leader was like, um, I, think that was, I think that was the bass drum. And, they, and the kid was like, no, 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 no. I, I felt it. It was the Holy Spirit. It was like, boom, I felt the Holy Spirit. And he was like, what, what part, what song, what part of the song? He's like, oh, is that, that thing? He's like, oh, right in the bridge? Yeah, that's when the bass drum kicks in. You're confusing the Holy Spirit with the bass drum. And I think we do that all the time, right? I, I think so often we get, our emotions, we get the Holy Spirit confused with our emotions, right? We hear a great song. And make no mistake, worship music, I believe, is designed. We see even biblically David uses worship music in the Old Testament to stir his affections for the Lord. So worship music isn't something we'd be like, whoa, I'm getting too emotional. No, no, we go after it. We should get after it, go after it hard, and, and get. we're even singing a song after, after this sermon where we are going to, if you're comfortable with it, pray, Holy Spirit, come down, fall down. And theologically, we believe he doesn't need to fall down, right? We believe that, that the Holy Spirit indwells his, his people. But we still ask, God, would you come? Would you come in this place? Would you come and dwell in this place? And what we're saying is, God, you are here. Would I cultivate you? Would I become a mature believer who is sensitive to you? Would I not be a believer who is callous towards this Holy Spirit that lives in us? And it's this thing I got, and then I just put it on the back shelf because it was intimidating and weird. And I got a friend who believes in like a big Holy Spirit, and they come across kind of, you know, kind of church crazy. And so I'm a little worried about how to navigate that. We wouldn't be afraid of it. And so, so make no mistake, we love worshiping. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be bashful about that. We should get after it. But we also should be really wise in our theology to know that, okay, the Holy Spirit is not just contained to whether or not we hit the right notes or whether or not we preach the right sermon. The Holy Spirit is bigger than that, bigger than that. And so that's what I want to look at. I want to look at who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? And specifically, three distinct roles that help us define who the Holy Spirit is. And so three roles of the Holy Spirit. Um, the first one is this. We know this about the Holy Spirit from Scripture. If it is really the Holy Spirit, then that Holy Spirit is going to illuminate truth. The Holy Spirit illuminates 
truth. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13, and we'll put it up on the screen if that's easier for you. John 16, 13. This is Jesus. This is Jesus in his last night before he's arrested. So, so these chapters, chapter 14 all the way through chapter 17 of John, is these really important statements from Jesus to his disciples. And so it's packed with stuff. We're going to be uh, in this section of John a good amount as we're unpacking the Holy Spirit. Um, but John 16 through 13, here's what it says. Um, John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus, his last night before he gets arrested, promises to sit, that the Holy Spirit will be sent. That after his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, that the Holy Spirit will come and that will be good for people. But then he also alludes here to what one of the roles is, which is the spirit of truth, right? Which will come and he will guide us into what is true and what is not true. Ezekiel 36, which I read earlier, even alludes to it, right? It said in verse 27, I said, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so the Holy Spirit is not just a feeling, right? Although there is absolutely emotion, emotion should be attached to our walk and to our worship and to our obedience. All of those things are good. Don't be afraid of those. But the Holy Spirit, part of his role and design is to illuminate what is true. And what is true, we believe, is this thing right here. We believe that this, the word of God, this is why we preach this. This is why any time you show up, at least to our ministry, you're going to get the Bible. Because my opinions or some great idea I had last Thursday that might be inspiring to you, those things we believe aren't going to last. They're not eternal. Uh, you shouldn't trust to build your life around those things, even though I got some great ideas. This is what we believe is true. And so we believe the Holy Spirit, part of his role is to illuminate his word, that the Holy Spirit wrote through 66 books and multiple authors who were kings and shepherds and tax collectors. I, I mean, the range of authors that wrote the 66 books of the Bible, all telling one story about the glory of God, who we are and who he is, was the Holy Spirit inspiring this. And now when we read it, a part of the Holy Spirit's role in our life is to illuminate this and make much of this. Let me illustrate it uh, this way. I am a visual person, uh, and so I need visuals. Uh, so I want you to have this picture in your head. This is a lamp that I stole from Alexi's desk. Thank you, Alexi. When you're looking for your lamp, it's probably because I left it on the stage. Hey, will you uh, kill, the, kill the lights as much as possible? Oh, moody. Okay, we are called to know God. We want to know him, draw near to him, and not just not draw near to feelings, not just draw near to uh, a relative truth that whatever is comfortable for me, right? Well, this is what I believe is truth. This is what you believe is truth. Let's us all have our own relative truth. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be, yet that's the world we live in, and Christians do the same thing. And so how do we navigate? God, who are you? Who are we? We have his word, right? We have his word, and yet we see that the Holy Spirit is what actually illuminates that. The Holy Spirit is this thing that God has given us throughout Scripture that says, I will show you what is true. I will show you how to follow me. I will show you, even in Ezekiel, what my statutes are, how to obey me, how to walk in step with me. 
And now here we have the Holy Spirit who will show us what is true, right? And so I want you to know that part of the Holy Spirit is to, is to gird us within this incredible thing that is sharper than any double-edged sword, this incredible word of God so that we might know him and know who we are. Thank you. You can turn the lights back on. So <clears throat> that idea is massively important to our faith. Truth is not this relative thing that we go search for. Truth, we believe here, is not this thing. It's like, well, I'm going to pick what's comfortable or easy for me. Um, if, let, me let me say this, too. If you are not surrendered to Christ, right? You're here, and you're checking this thing out, and maybe you've been coming for a while, and you're just not quite sure yet that you are ready to fully go all in and drink the Kool-Aid. First off, praise God. Honestly, praise God. There's, there's not going to be any pressure, right, that, oh, man, you got to, I want you to feel like you can belong in this community before you believe everything we believe. But we're also going to unapologetically show you this is what we believe. And I hope that's refreshing and honest. But there's a lot of people I know who still aren't all in, and for good reason, because they're still asking good questions and wrestling with it, and they want to understand, it, and they don't want to just be spoon-fed. They want to ask hard questions. And so if you're in that category or watching this or listening to this, weeks from now, and you're like, man, I'm not all in yet. Good. Keep investigating. You'll never hear from this stage us pressure you to just fake it until you make it. Ask good questions. Wrestle. There are good answers out there. But let me say this. There will always be a gap that you might look at people following Christ, and intellectually, pieces are still trying to click and you still don't understand and you look at someone else who surrendered their life to Christ and what they're getting out of it and intellectually you're still trying to put that puzzle piece together there will always be this step of faith that the word of God will not be fully illuminated to you we believe this through scripture through what we're reading that the word of God won't be fully illuminated unless you're surrendered to him and so I'm not pressuring you to just surrender your life and then it'll all make sense and everything will click but I am encouraging you that there's going to be a gap because this thing isn't just an encyclopedia. This isn't just an academic tool. This isn't just an intellectual textbook that we can read to understand our faith. This is something that is inspired by the word of God and that is illuminated and revealed to my heart because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the connection there. And so if you're still searching and you aren't in Christ, then you're going to get frustrated when you read this Bible at times you're going to have gaps where you just say, I don't understand. There are things that my heart believed before my head caught up. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I want my, I, my head caught up eventually. But there were things that I just said, man, God, you are telling me this is true. And I don't want to believe it intellectually, but God, I believe you because I do. I do. That is the relationship that we have when we walk near the Lord through his word. Be encouraged if you're searching. Be encouraged to keep searching. Be encouraged to search in community with people who believe and people who don't believe. Ask good questions. But at the end of the day, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to truly illuminate this word for you. We believe that. Not a lot we can do. Here it is. John 15, 26 says this. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so not only does he illuminate the truth of God's word, but also the Holy Spirit should be illuminating the truth of who Christ is, that Christ is truth, right? That truth, the idea, the concept of truth has a heartbeat. 
Truth has a heartbeat, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit will point to Christ and should be pointing to Christ. And if you feel like you have the Holy Spirit pointing you to something other than God's Word and pointing you to something other than Christ, pointing to yourself, pointing to the thoughts that you have, to your ideas, to what might be more comfortable, then you can stop and say, well, wait a second, that's not in line with what God's Word says. He points to His Word, and so He keeps us in line here. And so if, if, if so often, um, and I know I've fallen into this trap, and there's been different seasons um, in my life where I've been around brothers and sisters who are, are more prone to this, but so often we look for a fresh word, right? And there's some of us who's like, man, I want a fresh word. Or if you've been around somebody who really loves the Lord genuinely, has a genuine walk with the Lord, and a zeal for the Lord that I really admire, but at times we can get away from the boundaries of this is what God's word said. The Holy Spirit is going to show me here. And instead I think, well, man, this guy's got a fresh word for me. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, man, I just got this word from the Lord from you and they just speak it over you. That's not evil. That's not bad. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on those people. But I am cautioning us. Why am I more excited about that? Whoa, this, this guy just walked up to me and he said he got this fresh word for me. Why am I more excited if that were to happen to me then when I wake up and I turn this thing open and I see who I am and I see who God is and I read in the Psalms and I read in Galatians what he's done for me and I read in Ephesians who he is and Thessalonians and who he is, why is that not giving me, why do I need a fresh word? And that's something that we have got to be cautious about. We've got to be cautious about this idea that, man, I've got a word from you and all of a sudden we become the authority. We become the Holy Spirit has illuminated my words and not his words. And so, we don't throw shade on those people, right? There's, there's a sensitivity that's great, but at the same time, we are cautious of it. I went to a private Christian school for two years before I went back to my um, public school roots, go public school. Um, yeah. Uh, and when I was at that private Christian school, man, it, it was about a two-year period of time where there was not a girl at that school who, when she broke up with a boy, didn't say, as God told me to, Holy Spirit told me to break up with you. If you have broken up with a guy in this room and you played that card, Honestly, maybe that's true, right? Guys, maybe it's true. Give her a break, right? But that card was played a lot in my in freshman and sophomore girls who were just breaking up with guys left and right. I was one of those guys. Holy Spirit told her not to date me, right? Now, the Holy Spirit, I'm still bitter. Um, stinking Becky. Um, no, just kidding. Nobody's named Becky. Um, uh, so the Holy Spirit might counsel somebody, hey, this relationship is not healthy. Look at my word. Right? I'm not going to give you peace about this relationship because it's unhealthy. So make no mistake, the Holy Spirit will lead you in and out of unhealthy relationships and healthy relationships, and, but it will be in line with his word. Hey, look, we're out of bounds in our relationship. Hey, look, there's no joy here. Hey, there's no obedience here. Okay, yeah, God is definitely steering us to, to take a break or to, that makes sense, but just, oh, no, Ben wore a fanny pack today. Holy Spirit said break up with him, right? Like that isn't how the Holy Spirit works, right? It will push us to Jesus, and it will push us to his word. Second, and these two I'm going to move pretty quick on. Second role of the Holy Spirit is this, is this. It generates spiritual gifts. This is so good. The Holy Spirit not only illuminates his word and truth through, through this and through Jesus, it also should generate um, spiritual gifts in your life. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, says this. 4 through 7, it says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, not only should it be pushing you to truth, illuminating truth, pushing you to Jesus, it also is going to generate gifts in your life. And these are not gifts for you, right? This isn't the gift for you to throw a touchdown and win the game, right? And then afterwards, be like, yeah, man, the Holy Spirit helped me win the football game. Or the gift to like, man, I didn't study for this test at all, and now I need the Holy Spirit to give me an A on this test. So I'm going to pray, Holy Spirit, help me pass this test. And we all do that, man. We all totally do that. I also think God cares about the mundane. I think you should bring the mundane. I think you should bring the, hey, I'm, I'm stressed about a test. Or, hey, would you help me remember? I think our God cares about those little things. But his role is to produce gifts in us that are not, for ourselves, but they are for Christ. They're for the edification of the body, right? You're going to see a theme that this thing is not about us. It is about him, and the Holy Spirit should be pointing us and himself to making much of God. And so for me, I believe that God has given me a spiritual gift of exhortation and, and teaching and encouraging and, and preaching, right? But that's not about me, right? And, and this thing that we believe here, Brett, has been given these incredible gifts of also exhortation and how he leads worship. And his desire is not just to sing good songs and play music. His desire is to exhort people to worship and to point to Jesus. Same with me. We believe what happens here in the sermon isn't just a sermon that hopefully you guys like and think well of Ben, that this is a redemptive event. Now, our prayer all over this thing is, God, would you do what you want to do you would not leave with an impression of me or Brett or Maggie or Nathan or Francis or somebody on the stage, but you would leave with an impression of, Holy Spirit, you are revealing something and using random people for his glory. That's what our gifts are for. To edify, to, to encourage, and then also to always point back to Jesus. And then the last role of the Holy Spirit is this, or at least of, of these three, to produce spiritual fruit. It produces spiritual fruit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So often, so often when the fruit that feels like it's coming out of the vine in my life is anxiety, I'm anxious. I just, I just want five steps for freedom from anxiety. I just want to flip the switch. I just want to, okay, how do I just get rid of my anxiousness? And what the Word of God says, and what even Galatians 5 shows us, is that, no, He produces fruit. I want peace and joy and love and kindness and gentleness. I I want His fruit, and His fruit comes when I abide in Him, when I rest in Him, when I sit with Him. And I submit to him and say, Lord, would you show me? Lord, would you show me? It's not a quick fix. This idea of abiding and resting and sitting and staying plugged into him is the same idea of this lamp being plugged in. That my role is just to be plugged into him through his word under the Holy Spirit, making much of Jesus. And so often I don't feel like it. I don't feel like doing that. And, I, and so often I think, God, I need you to stir up those things so that I will then want to do that. Instead of saying, no, God, I'm going to meet with you 
even when I don't feel like it because the Holy Spirit is not just contained to my mood or, or a season of sadness or a season of anxiety or a season of depression. He is bigger than that. And so, God, I'm going to stay and I'm going to stay focused. And, Lord, then would you produce that fruit? And so often we think, well, I'm going to unplug because I don't feel like it. And, God, I need you to produce this desire. And yet he says, here I am. Plug into me. Meet with me. Sit with me, even when you don't feel like it. One foot in front of the other and then see what he does over time. See what he produces in you over time. This fruit of the Spirit, this love and this joy and this peace. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We pursue him, right? My hope is this morning you get a little glimpse, this new covenant that now is culminated in chapter 8, the new covenant is better, that we realize why is it better? Why is it better? It's better all throughout the prophecies and Ezekiel and Jeremiah because we get the Holy Spirit along with this. And I think we're a people who oftentimes are confused by it, ignore it, don't cultivate it, don't activate the Holy Spirit that if you are in Christ, you've been given. And so my challenge, my encouragement to you is run after that. Don't subdue it. Don't ignore it. Don't be intimidated by it. Sit with him in his word and watch what he produces in you. If you want to learn how to, how to stir up, how to cultivate the Holy Spirit in your heart, then chase after Jesus and get in his word. In chasing after Jesus and getting in his word and following his way, you will cultivate the Holy Spirit because that's what he does. That's where he meets us. That's where he guides us. If you want more Holy Spirit, use music as a tool to stir your affections. Use community and fellowship as a tool to stir your affections. But at the end of the day, be planted in his word so that his Holy Spirit can reveal to you who you are, how he loves you, and what he's called you to do. Um. Let me, let me land on verse 12, and then I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we would be sensitive and we'd respond to this. Um, verse 12 from, from chapter 8, remember what it said? It was that quote from Jeremiah, and it said, For I will be merciful toward their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I want to lead us in a time of just being still and prayer, and I'm going to have the band come on back up. And just for a couple minutes, I want us to be still before the Lord, and I want us to remember that we can sit before God if we are in Christ, not because we earned it, not because we're spiritual enough, not because we feel like we have some varsity Holy Spirit in us. We have a God who is holy and perfect, but he no longer holds our sins against us. He no longer holds our iniquities, all of the, the list of things that we do wrong. He no longer holds that against us, and that's huge. And so because of that kindness, we can approach him. Let me lead us in some prayer. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for how you love us, God. Um, would we just be able to be still before you? Just for this next minute, God, and uh, listen to you, God. We have heard scripture this morning from Ezekiel to Jeremiah 31 to Hebrews 8 to John 16 and John 14 and 1 Corinthians. God, you speak through the, your word. And so, Father, would you just continue to reveal yourself to us? God, would we leave this room, even this morning, with more of an impression of who you are, how you love us, that you love a bunch of sinners and you give us this gift of the Holy Spirit. God, forgive us of the ways that we ignore it. Forgive us of the ways that we disobey and run from your word and run from 
who you call us to be. And thank you that that Holy Spirit never leaves us. But God, the calluses there that we've built up over time, the patterns that we built up over time of just ignoring it, God, I pray that today would just be a sweet turning point in so many of our lives. We might not be so intimidated by it. We might see it as this incredible helper that indwells those who are in Christ in this room and those listening. And God, those who are still seeking, that they feel your Holy Spirit calling them to something better. That this morning, they hear you, feel your Spirit reminding them of truth. That all the other paths we've tried to walk down have led to a lot of emptiness, a lot of dissatisfaction. And yet here you are before us and you say you are better and you have something better for us. So God, would you do what you want to in our hearts? Would you change us? Will we sit before you and will we pray this bold prayer God, what do you have for me? Would we pray this prayer? God, what do you have for me? And then would we we partner that prayer with God, give me the faith to obey then? Would we do those things right now in the stillness of our own hearts? What do you have for me, Father? And give me the faith to obey.